Hi everyone, I'm going to be talking today about disability and risk in relation to being autistic, very much through the lens of my own uh, personal experience as usual. It's taken me quite a while to percolate um, these themes. I've been thinking about them consistently for some months now and observing and participating in various different conversations on social media about autism and disability in particular. Particularly the question, is autism itself a disability? Views are very varied um, about this and of course very informed by um, people's personal experience, which is natural, I think. I think there comes a point where it feels right to contribute um, to the conversation as well. And so I think I'm ready to share some views, even though I'm quite new to having the framework and the language around autism to make sense of um, a lot of what I've seen and lived. I do have 40 years of lived experience that is coming into a point of clarity and crystallising using this language. So I'm not new at all to the actual content that I'm thinking about and talking about. So I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is how much sense it makes to me that I've been disabled in some form and not been able to put my finger on it. For a long, long time, I used to wish I had some kind of disclaimer before starting a new school or starting a new workplace or even things like meeting what became my in-law family the first time. I just, I really wish there was some way that I could communicate to people um, something like, you're probably expecting X, Y and Z from me. And I don't know X, Y, and Z. I don't know how to do X, Y, and Z, or really even what they are. So don't expect that from me. I kind of wanted something to precede me um, so that people weren't confused and I didn't feel under pressure and I could feel less anxious and less stressed about the fact that I knew I had this gap in skills and ability. And as I said in a previous episode, I, I used to sort of say to myself, Oh, I've got developmental issues. I haven't developed fully um, because I obviously didn't appreciate that I was on a different development path than what I and other people assumed that I was on. So encountering the concept of hidden disability really sits very well with me. It sits very comfortably. But it has taken me some time to put a bit more meat on the bones of what that really means. And importantly, whether autism itself is a disability or not. And this is what I've come up with so far. So my view is autism itself is not a disability, nor is it a condition or a disorder. The best description of autism that I've seen and I wish so much that I could remember where I saw this so I could give it some form of credit is that it is an operating system so there 
is an autistic operating system in human beings. Some of us have an autistic brain and body generated by our DNA. And some people have a non-autistic or an allistic operating system. And we're just different types of human beings genetically. Everything I have seen is pointing to this. I come, this is anecdotal, obviously, this is not based on research, but I come from a really huge family. And it's becoming pretty clear to me since I figured myself out that I come from an autistic family. Not all of them know it, or ADHD, or ADHD. So some some of my relatives are really kind of coming in through the ADHD route, and that's really resonating for, for them. Some of my relatives I've started sharing about my autism with, and actually they're some of them are quite open about, oh yeah, you know, I think I am as well. And it's been lovely to be able to be like, oh, that's a relief. Let's just, we can just reference that like it's a really not a big deal at all you know sharing any types of experiences being like oh that's an autistic thing and oh yeah and I've read about that no that is that's also an autistic thing oh great oh that's helpful to know it's brilliant but yes it's very obvious to me that this big extended family who actually haven't spent much time you know we're not a close family particularly although we are coming together more closely if that makes sense more recently, I think, possibly through some of this new shared knowledge, it just really resonates for me that there will be lineages genetically that are autistic. And then not only that, but autistic people seem to be, uh, this is a widely discussed phenomenon, autistic people seem to be drawn to each other as, you know, mates, as life partners, um, you know, and then having families together. There was a time when I looked at one side of my family, you know, my father's side and then my mother's side, and thinking, well, we can't all be autistic. And actually realising now, of course we can. Of course we can all be autistic. So back to disability. So what about being autistic is disabling then? I've got this idea in my mind that autistic people... If we were the kind of dominant type of human, the world and civilization might have developed differently. It might be less advanced. Who knows? It might be more advanced. But I think for us to not feel disabled as a community, the world would actually need to be quite significantly different. Modern life is disabling for me as an autistic person and probably a lot of other autistic people. Most environments are disabling as opposed to enabling of the things that we are actually capable of doing. What gets a bit more complicated, I think, when talking about autism and disability is learning disability and and how that fits in. So obviously, loads of people think that autism is a learning disability. And that's why loads of us as autistic people get often quite kind of dismissive or incredulous responses from people when we tell them that we're autistic because they look at us and you're like, "Mm, I don't think you are. Because in their mind, they're imagining probably someone with quite a high level of learning disability, so high and noticeable that they as a non-expert layperson would be able to detect 
that level of learning disability in us. From what I can understand, I reckon autism is just one thing. It's a type of person. It's a type of operating system. It's a type of brain and body. And then autistic people will have varying levels of learning disability, including possibly none, and including possibly quite a high level of learning disability. And that's the bit that really determines how much support a person needs to be safe, to to have care taken of them, to live independently or possibly not independently. But it's that that actually determines how much support someone needs. I sort of made an assumption when I figured out that I'm autistic. I was like, well, I'm autistic, but I'm not learning disabled. I'm disabled by other things that are quite definite. And I've listed those out and I'll come to them in a minute. But actually, on reflection, maybe I am learning disabled because there are lots of things that through school type learning and teaching, I couldn't understand um, and didn't learn. Anything related to any form of abstract science or maths, which I'm gutted about because I'm not really sure whether I would ever have been able to grasp any of it or not. I don't know whether it's about the way I learned or the way I was taught, but I never, I couldn't grasp any of it. I can't grasp anything intangible. So there's that aspect. And then as an adult, there are lots of things that I, similarly intangible things, especially financial, pensions, mortgages, debt, lending, borrowing, credit, it's almost like it doesn't matter how many times that is explained to me. I don't get it. I don't get it. Therefore, it's actually very difficult for me to be independent on matters of finance or financial planning. That's just an example. So, yeah, I've been reflecting a lot on on my own levels of learning disability. And I think they're is something in there for me and my husband when he listens to this he'll probably (laughs) I imagine he'll be like yeah that all checks out you know he has to help me and explain things to me a lot and I'm very grateful to him because he's very very patient and he doesn't judge me and so he he actually has he works quite hard at helping me understand things but it's unfortunate because I'll I might remember things or understand things for a period of time And then it's gone, like fully gone. And then I need it explained all over again. The other forms of disability that are linked to being autistic in a non-autistic world are a bit clearer to me. My sensory needs and how difficult it is to meet my sensory needs is very obviously disabling in modern life in the UK. The life that I've ended up with or the life I've ended up in, um, you know, my working life mainly because I'm so often in a state of sensory overwhelm there's a huge amount of preparation and remedial and recovery and recuperation activity that I have to do to maintain well-being and to prevent burnout which I described in a previous episode. I've actually I was thinking about the relationship between burnout and disability the more burned out I am the more disabled I am and burnout is I've realised not an it's not an occasional thing. Burnout as an autistic person in the life 
um, that so many of us lead in the UK, in the West, uh, burnout is a daily experience. It's a, it's a constant default state. So it's like having to do constant work to stave off the burnout to prevent any avoidable level of disability possible. So the disability is fluctuating, the burnout is fluctuating, and the way that the extent to which we can mask, all the things I talked about in episode four, all of those things are fluctuating based on how much control and autonomy we've got over our day-to-day in having a life that actually works for us and isn't disabling to us. The executive functioning, I think there is some actual cognitive um, um, processing aspects of being ADHD that I touched on recently in that episode, um, which are definitely disabling, the the state of inertia that comes on with overwhelm. But actually very similar. It's very similar that the amount of the amount of discipline and self-care involved in being able to be in the best possible state of executive functioning just takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of knowledge and it takes a lot of work to get that knowledge because it's not, as far as I can see, it's not provided by anyone to us. I've become a little bit obsessed actually with how much of a public health risk that is at population level the fact that we don't readily have access to knowledge and information and tools about stuff that affects every single part of our lives every single day. It's very obviously a public health risk. I'm not going to let that one drop, that there's something in that, and I'm not really convinced that that is properly recognised or understood um, in public health spheres. And another aspect, so I haven't really talked about this very much. I think I'll do, I will do a separate episode on trauma. But because because of the way our autistic brains are wired, we have very overactive parts of the brain linked to um, responses, including trauma responses. So autistic people actually have a significantly lower threshold for a significantly higher level experience of trauma. So things that happen to us day to day that wouldn't be traumatic for an holistic human are actually hugely traumatic for us. And that is probably the thing that means that a lot of us, especially those who don't know we're autistic and people around us don't know, we get the label of drama queen, dramatic because it looks like we're having extremely overly dramatic reactions to things that aren't a big deal. But those things are actually often genuinely traumatic for us. But like I said, I think there's quite a lot in that. So I'd like to do a different episode on that specifically. This is what I'm describing. What I'm describing here is what I have made sense of so far in terms of my own types of disability that are associated with being autistic in a non-autistic world and also just some of the hardwiring of my my brain and my nervous system and my body that as a result of being burned out traumatized disabled by my environment as a result of all of those those 
hardwired built-in types of ability and functioning get heavily disrupted, resulting in more disability. On On a related note, then, I think there's quite a lot around risk. We're disabled in many of these ways, in very different ways, depending on the life we've got, the support we've got, where we live, what kind of communities we're surrounded by, how well understood we are, how heavily we have to mask, and very significantly, whether or not we know that we are autistic, which is a key. It's a key. I've been thinking of it as the golden key. You're in very serious trouble if you are autistic and don't know that you're autistic, not least because of the types of risks that we are vulnerable to. The first book that I read a year ago when I had my autiphany, and that I think is an amazing word that was coined by a very good new friend of mine called Tracy, who's amazing. When I had my autiphany a year ago, I realised I was autistic. I read a book by Sarah Hendricks called Women and Girls with Autism Spectrum Disorder which is not the typical language used now. We would probably typically say autistic women and girls, but that's that's the language of the time and that's what the book is called. And so much of what she set out in there, I really recommend it actually. It's a brilliant book. It sets out very succinctly and with with some autistic women's voices in there as well, different types of experiences that we have, including risks. Now, autistic people are well known for generally being quite into telling the truth, having other people tell the truth. It's not that we can't lie, it's not that we can't be sarcastic, etc, etc. But generally, there's quite a close link between being autistic and telling the truth, expecting that other people are telling the truth, taking things quite literally, being literal, assuming that other people are being literal, not reading between the lines. That lends itself towards a real risk around people who lie to us in order to abuse us. I have actually heard that this is becoming an actual tactic by gangs to find whether they know that they're whether they know it's the language of autism, but they know they know the type of person to look for to target to be able to um, manipulate and abuse because ultimately autistic people innately, even though we get burned, innately, I think are quite trusting. It does mean that autistic people can be vulnerable to sexual predators and vulnerable to assault. And I was glad to see that included in Sarah Hendrick's book. I suspect that's a very widely commonly experienced trauma for a lot of people who don't know that they're autistic in particular because as I keep saying we just don't we just don't know what we don't know about the risks in the world um, for us and actually one of my major disabilities cognitively actually is the fact that I have no internal map so it's very, very easy for me to be lost. Um, and I'm very nervous about making unfamiliar journeys, especially on public transport, because I don't have bearings and I get lost 
immediately and irretrievably and very quickly. And it's a very stressful experience for me. One of the things I keep thinking about is young adults or teens who don't know that they're autistic may or may not have different types of, um, you know, cognitive information processing differences that render them disabled in, you know, the world that we live in. When we then go out and drink alcohol, which I'm realising more and more as I get older and, you know, since the autiphony, only a little bit of alcohol really blows any information processing or cognitive ability that I've got completely um, completely out, like completely unusable. And it's an awful, awful situation for an autistic person to realise that they've maybe had one drink more than their brain and their body can handle and it really does render us I think very very like really vulnerable in terms of who we might accept help from um and being lost and not being able to find you know transport or get home if I've had any alcohol now I can't I can't um function with apps I can't use um, City Mapper. I find using an app difficult as it is, but if I've had any alcohol, I just can't do it. And if you can't use an app and find your way home and you can't pay for a taxi, or even how do you get a taxi if you can't use Uber because you've had a drink? And I only really clocked this a year ago, um, especially having not really been out um, socially during the pandemic and a lot of people you know remarked to me oh well you know no one's really been out everyone's trying you know remembering and trying to figure out how to, to go out and be social and take public transport again and find their way home and I was like no this is more than that this is a, a different level of I literally cannot understand the information on a train notice board and I, I actually had quite a few meltdowns in train stations coming out of the pandemic because I just couldn't process anything and the, pa- the panic then of how, how am I going to get home safely? It's just a really horrible experience. I'm one of the, That's one of the reasons I'm barely drinking. And if I go out um, to meet a friend, you know, in London or something after work now, and I'm travelling home on my own, I just don't drink any alcohol at all because it's just not worth putting myself at that level of um, danger when I'm out. I, I just want to be safe. Uh, there are risks, all kinds of risks as well, I think, around the fact that others expect us to be able to understand things or communicate in certain ways. So there's, you know, there's risks to being excluded. I mean, so many different types. I'm definitely going to be doing more episodes, you know, on things like school, the, you know, the risks to us in school um, and in the workplace and in, in different environments. But one that actually comes to mind to me quite a bit, uh, especially following my recent experiences with my dad um, during his end of life, phase and and the care that we were trying to get for him at end of life is the fact that we won't necessarily communicate or behave or you know act in ways that healthcare professionals expect no one in my family including my father was acting or communicating in the way health professionals probably expected and we got accused of all kinds of things Lots of assumptions were made about our abilities to take care of him. 
a really big issue in terms of ability disability is it a disability or is it just not being able to do something that others expect is talking the nurses coming to my father's house to take care of him and expecting that my sister and I would have been able to do loads of things that they'd instructed us to do and we weren't and then our emotional you know our emotional state around that and the fact that we felt like we were letting him down and them down was just really awful um and so after you know a few days into that I couldn't speak um and I couldn't make eye contact um I just yes I really wanted to just point out some of the possibly un unrecognized or unexpected risks around accessing healthcare um, and around being able to be safe, even for those of us who are perceived as living independently and are perceived as living autonomously. Actually, some of us have quite a high level of, um, of vulnerability. I'm hoping I've done all right on what is actually quite a complicated theme for me. I've really come to this conclusion that the way our our society actually is and the way modern life actually is, I'm not really convinced that schools as they are and pretty much all workplaces, I'm not really convinced they can actually be genuinely accessible to autistic people because they are just set up in every way in ways that disable us rather than enable us. I just keep thinking, if we had the opportunity to design a place of learning or a type of learning, because maybe it shouldn't even be place-based, because why have loads of people in one building? That's just incredibly disabling for us. If we if we were able to design ways of learning and ways of working, they'd be so different to what the expected norm is and I know lots of people actually are working this out there are lots of families that are um, choosing homeschooling which I massively support and wish that there was a lot more provision resource guidance tools all kinds of stuff I think families need the owner shouldn't be on them you know financially or you know to do all of the teaching but I I need to do a bit more research into this and the same goes for, for work and employment. I know that lots of neurodivergent people are figuring out that being autonomous and self-employed, um, or, you know, setting up their own businesses and companies in the ways that work for autistic people and, and neurodivergent people is the right thing. And again, I just wish that that was a thing that was much more understood from much, much younger in a person's life. So actually there are, there are options that might be better for different types of people and to have much more knowledge and information and, and access and, and support available to pursue the type of, you know, the type of um, learning and working path that really makes sense for that person. Because then we can really hone our actual strengths of which we usually have loads. I am going to do an episode following this one on disability I am going to do um, an episode specifically on abilities and strengths as well. Okay, this has been quite a long one. I can't tell you how much I love hearing from people. Um, I love getting an email or an Instagram message or a connection on Twitter. Please take care of yourselves. Have a great week. Till next time. Bye.